Hi, and welcome to episode 25 of Visit Dad Rock Yet. I'm Martin, and with me, as always, is Steve. Hello, Martin, and hello to our listeners. Uh, this week, we have a special guest with us, Mike DeMonte. Mike, say hello. Hi, um, my name is Mike DeMonte. I am a former music journalist and author of the book, Hey Suburbia, A Guide to the Emo Pop Punk Rise, which has interviews I've done with a band we're talking about today, Blink-182, as, as well as you know bands like Taking Back Sunday, The Descendants, Akhlan Trio, Newfound Glory, Good Charlotte, Get Up Kids, and any band from that era is basically in the, I've interviewed in the book. Awesome. So yeah, Mike, can you tell us a little bit more about uh, about yourself and about your, your new book, Hey Suburbia? Yeah, so my background is uh, I used to work for slash the Houston Chronicle, um, which, which is Hearst is one of the big media companies in North America. Um, and at the time, I was a web producer, copywriter, uh, and occasionally I would write stories, right? And nobody was really writing about the style of music. So I kind of volunteered to like cover these shows for free. And I felt like I became the unofficial like reporter for like pop punk and like alternative. Um, so yeah, so during that time there at the Chronicle, I mean, I've, I've been able to meet and interview some of my heroes, you know, you know, met and interviewed Blink-182, obviously, you know, we're talking about today, um, you know, Acline Trio and Taking Back Sunday, Get Up Kids, Good Charlotte, you know, all these rad bands that, you know, I grew up worshiping and, um, I've had all these interviews just sitting there through the years. So the book, when I came to doing the book, it was basically wrote itself. You know, I, I built the book around the kind of that era that, you know, means so much to all of us, you know, growing up in the late nineties to early two thousands, like that era of music to me is like the Mecca from 1997 to like 2003, um, in terms of, for, for this genre of music. Um, so the book was really kind of taking, making a guide, a coffee table book that was easily digestible for, you know, people like us who kind of grew up in it to kind of have a nostalgic, you know, take on it. And then for people who are new to this type of music to learn the roots, right. That goes back just beyond the pop punk scene. It goes to the early punk rock and emo bands as well, you know, from the, from the eighties and nineties. So, you know, the book was uh, really cool to kind of, you know, piece it all together. And there's some fun things in there like guides and essential albums and, uh, yeah, so yeah, doing the, that book was uh, probably one of the coolest things I've ever done in terms of you know my journalism career. And uh, yeah, and it's pretty cool. Like when it came out, I was on Mike Herrera from MXPX, his podcast. Uh, Mark Hoppus, uh, hi, my name is Mark, put it on their on their little blog. So I've had some cool press and some cool people have it in their hands. So that's cool. Oh, that's awesome. How old was you when you got into sort of pop punk? You know, you mentioned that like no one else was writing about it. Was you already into it? I'm guessing obviously you was. Was it you know, an older sibling or how did you get into that sort of music? So this is a really good story. Um, so I, I grew up in New York and then I live in Texas now, but in between I lived in Pennsylvania for about a year. And when I moved there, I didn't have any friends, but this one guy that we would watch wrestling and play Dungeons and Dragons together. And he was like my best friend for that year. And when I moved, he gave me some like CDs and it was the get up, one of the get up kids CDs. It was like mostly early emo stuff. Um, uh, Juliana Theory, and there was Cheshire Cat by Blink in there. And I listened to them, and it's like, okay, this is cool. Something was interesting about it. And then that was kind of my introduction, you know. And then growing up as, and then as a 90s kid, you know, you look at 90s alternative rock. Well, there was ska, there was punk rock, you know, on the radio. In between, you know, Pearl Jam and Nirvana, you could hear, you know, Mighty My Boston's Green Day, Offspring, Blink. So definitely kind of, that kind of like re-engage. Oh, this is that music that my friend gave me. So yeah, that's when I kind of got into it. Um, and I feel like as I got older, I got more into the um, more, but not the more the static of punk rock. You know, it's not just about the music, but it's the activism behind it and kind of like what it means. So 
Yeah, I think pop punk for a lot of people is the the gateway drug to all different forms of the the genre. We found that same thing with like um, hardcore for the hardcore scene. Me and Steve recently got well, I say recently, the past sort of what three four years, Steve. We started getting into the hardcore music a lot more. And it's like you instantly start thinking, oh, that's a cool band. And then you get more into the ethos of it and the, the background of it and the, you know, anti-establishment kind of stuff that all the bands sing about. And I mean, quite a lot of sort of um, ones with female band members. So a lot of that is the sort of feminist side of things as well. So, and like you mentioned at the beginning there with the pop punk, you start listening, oh, it's cool. And then you start looking into like veganism and, you know, that kind of all the stuff that they're into. And it without listening to that music, you wouldn't have been exposed to that sort of life, especially without the internet at your fingertips. It's all in magazines or, you know, what you do your own research about the bands as well. So that's quite cool. A word of mouth as well. Like you say, you got your CDs from a friend. And the one question I had was, there, is there a song that you just like got you hooked into that type of music? So like into pop, punk and emo, or just heavy music in general? Because when I think about the reason I'm into heavy music is like I saw um, One Step Closer by lincoln park and i thought oh that's amazing i want to find more music like this was it was it the same for you or was it just like oh i got these cds and like you know i just thought all the songs are great or was it just like one particular band or song where you're like right that's cool that's got me hooked and i will want to listen to more um there's something relatable about when i heard carousel by blink but once again there was i couldn't quite put my finger on what i liked about it uh i guess until then when dude ranch came out and i heard damn it and i was like oh this is that same band so that was kind of like the light bulb um, and yeah, so yeah, those are probably, probably the first few songs that were kind of like, okay, let me dig deeper. Like we we're talking about earlier, you know, like then you get into kind of like, you know, the, 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 the bands that influenced the bands that you like, you know, for me, when first time I heard Bad, Bad Religion, I was blown away. Uh, and they're like propaganda, like Dead Kennedys. So like everyone goes through their, like their phases. Yeah. yeah. You go through your, your old school punk rock, your hardcore phase, your ska phase, you know, your emo phase, and you just go back and forth and just revisit all those phases. It's funny. And then while they, while we were young or whatever the, the concert's called, then they do a festival like that and you think, oh my God, I'm so old. But, you know, all them bands on there, it just brings back so many memories as well. Yeah, for sure. I'm assuming you, did you did you have tickets to that or, or not? No. Um, yeah, I just, I don't know. It didn't interest me. It seemed kind of overwhelming too. You know, like I think, you know, in the US we have Riot Fest, which is the, probably the best festival for this type of music. And God, even then, I mean, it's gotten so big. I mean, I haven't gotten in years, but from what I've seen from this year, it almost looks like it's gotten like too big, you know? Yeah, well, I think, Steve, you said, did you have a look? And like, there were so many clashes with what you wanted to watch. So it's like, how do you choose? Yeah, I wanted to see sort of like, you know, I don't even know how many bands, say like 15 bands, but literally every single one of them was just clashing with another one. It was just nightmare. But I saw the news, obviously, on the Saturday morning that had been cancelled. And I thought that must have been a kick in the teeth for all of those fans and all those, you know, people who bought tickets to, to get to Vegas. Imagine traveling across the world or across the States and then all of a sudden, that's it. Mike, you got started uh, writing reviews, you said. And I've got a question about uh, reviews because I was thinking about it the other day. And I was wondering when you write a review, is it more of a subjective opinion? Like, I think this i don't i'm not into this type of music so it, it sucks and i'm going to give it a one star review or do you try to be a bit more objective where it's like okay so this is a band they're playing some music i don't really like but they're doing a really great job of it or is it more of a i don't like this so this band sucks and just before you answer mike just to let you know steve is the most opinionated person i've ever met <laughs> if he if you do something and he doesn't like it he's got no issues with just straight up saying that what you're doing is crap so so yeah i got my kind of start in my high school newspaper kind of writing reviews and i mean they weren't good but when i was in college i really refined them and 
really learned how to learn, you know, is it when you're being a journalist, you know, you're, you're writing a, covering a story, or if you're writing a review, it's kind of different, you know, um, just because a review is obviously more subjective and a new story is more objective. Um, but when you're writing, I, I reviewed so many bands in college, like any city that came across my desk, I reviewed, and there's some of them I didn't like, and some of them I did like, you know, obviously if you like a band, I mean, you're going to want to listen to it in the first place. You know, I remember I got hate mail because I, uh, I gave a negative review to a Metallica record. And I liked Metallica, <laughs> I just didn't like the record. What was the record? Sin Anger. Yeah. <laughs> and I just remember, I was like, I thought that was so cool that somebody read my review in my college paper and decided to like write hate mail. I thought that was like the coolest thing. So how excited are you about Blink? About their, well, I was going to say they're reforming, but Tom rejoining and the almost original... Um, the original trio being back together. Yeah, it's funny you said almost original because a lot of people will always say original lineup and it's like they forgot Scott. People tend to forget that, you know. <laughs> so I, I would think that's hilarious when, you know, like uh, news outlets or people on social media would make that comment. But uh, yeah, it's super exciting. I mean, I think as you get older, you know, you, you kind of hold on to these moments and memories of, you know, bands and lineups. And obviously, you know, Tom with Blink is, is special. Um, you know, like, Matt Skiba, I love Aquiline Trio. They're my second favorite band behind Blink. And uh, I wish, and for the Skiba era, there's a lot of great moments. I mean, for me personally, I got to interview them, all of them at the same time, backstage at X Games, which was super rad. Um, you know, they did a lot of great shows at Matt Skiba. They, you know, um, as well. So that era, I think, was really good. The, I think a lot of times he's unfairly judged um, because I think a lot of the, the direction of the songs, I think, were out of his control. Um, I, I look at California Deluxe and I say, ah, this is kind of what I, I envisioned Blink or Skiba to sound like, as opposed to normal California at nine. But yeah, having Tom back and Tom legit seems excited to be back in Blink. It doesn't seem like it's a cash grab or anything. Like he legit seems to be having fun. And from what they post, what Tom posted about this record being progressive, you know, it's, this is you know, edging is a fun signal, but this is some of the most progressive music we've ever made, which is really exciting to me because like. I really liked the direction they were going on in neighborhoods and dogs eating dogs. And, you know, I said this before in like other podcasts I recorded, I said, I want to hear them singing about beating death, not beating off. Uh, and that's kind of, like, <laughs> that's kind of my mindset. So I'm super stoked to, you know, to, to hear the record and yeah. And just everything, you know, it's kind of, it hit us all at once. It was like world tour, single announcement. And then the next day it was like tickets on sale and then up oh, pre-order the album. Like, that's a lot at once. It was like a crazy 48 hours. I like the idea of, like you say, going and being doing something different. They could have just come back and started singing about, you know, wanking dogs off or whatever they did. You know, early 2000s kind of stuff. And I'm sure people would really enjoy it. They might enjoy it too. But it's like, it's nice that they've joined and they're actually going, you know, a different direction. And because they are 20 odd, you know what I mean? The How old are they? 40s? 40s, 50s, yeah. You know, if they start singing about going to frat pies or whatever American people do, I assume that's what they all do, um, then it'd just be weird. Or singing about the girl at the rock show and his wife's like, who is this girl he keeps singing about? Yeah, who is she? I will beat her up. One last question before we start the actual proper episode. Um, if you could create a pop punk super group, who would the members be? Uh, I remember when you guys put this, it's so hard. It's like... <laughs> Pop punk super group. Uh, I'm just gonna go off the top of my head in terms of like musicianship and what would sound really cool. Uh, Bill Stevenson from the Seven Sun Drums, uh, Matt Skiba, guitars and vocals. Uh, throwing Tom, <laughs> the other guitar player, Tom <laughs> Lodge. Uh, just to see them songwriting together would be dope. And then for the bass player, 
Uh, I mean, I love Mark, but Dan Andriano from Aquiline Trio. So it would really be a blink Aquiline to send this mashup. There you go. <laughs> yeah, it works for me. I would pay to go see them. Maybe not the extortionate prices that Blink are actually selling tickets for, but, you know, maybe if they announce it and I get to save up, I'd be tempted to go see it. Yeah, I would like to have seen uh, the four-piece with, with Matt Skiba in Blink. But yeah, Bill Stevenson replacing Travis, I think it'd be a, it'd be a different, uh, different feel to that. So before we get started, we need to introduce today's It's Not Dad Rocket Band. This week, we've got the band Oversize from the southwest of England. These guys play a kind of grunge, shoegaze, emo hybrid. Here's a clip of their single, Taste. I'm The new EP, Into the Ceiling, is available on all good streaming platforms and it's definitely worth checking out. And you can check these guys out live as well. We've got a video on YouTube from Outbreak Fest 2022 and it is definitely worth a watch. Episode 26, Blink-182, Dude Ranch from the year 1997, as chosen by our guest, Mike Demante. Mike, you could have chosen any album for this episode. Why did you choose Dude Ranch? Uh, it's my favorite album all the time, front to back. Um, I feel like it's the record that introduced the masses and a lot of people to the band. And like I, I mentioned earlier, you know, uh, bands like Blank and Green Day and Offspring and from that era and Mighty Mighty Boston's and No Doubt, they're really kind of gateway drugs, kids getting into like punk, hardcore and ska. So for me, that album was just special. 1997 was a really special year for me. And I think musically, I think that was a great year. And uh, I just think, you know, musically, the, the riffs on that album are great. It's catchy. It's fast. Uh, the lyrics are really introspective, you know. Um, yeah, there's just like, you ever hear the, if somebody put you on an island for the rest of your life with one album, what would you choose? And mine would be Dude Ranch. When, when you listen to it, does it sort of, what's the word, sort of transport you to 1997 again? And it's, because like some of the albums that I listen to, it's like I'm in my bedroom playing on Tony Hawk's Pro Skater and that's, and my mate's there and we're just, you know, having a right good time. So it's kind of, when I listen to that album, I always think of that kind of thing. Is it is it that for you as well? Uh yeah. Sometimes, like sometimes more, you know, more more than others. You know, depending on nostalgic you're feeling, or sometimes you'll hear a certain part of the song and it'll kind of bring back a memory. Uh, but yeah, just in general, you know, I think when I think that's a great thing about music when you you know it can invoke you know the nostalgia and from certain time periods of your life and just of that era in general. So for me, you know, like I said, being a big '90s kid and loving that era in general, you know, that album really kind of I, mean, I think that's one of the albums that really helped bridge the gap between, you know, 90s pop culture, alternative rock and punk rock, you know, kind of like Green Day did and Blink did again in 1999. So cool, cool, cool. So first question, what is a dude ranch? So the real definition or the joke definition? Because a dude ranch is basically like dude semen. That's the joke that they made. <laughs> that's that was kind of the, the double entendre. Not the double that was kind of like the tongue-in-cheek. Yeah, so I, I had a look on uh, Wikipedia because I was like, why is it called Dude Ranch? 
And I was like, all I could find out is like a guest ranch. Uh, and I was like, it's got to be something else. But yeah, that makes that makes complete sense. It's come. I suppose that goes in line with it, doesn't it? Because they have the enema of the state, which obviously an enemy of the state, but the enema. They've got dude ranch, the other thing of come. Um, embarrassingly, I didn't realise take off, take off your pants and jacket was take off your pants and wank until about three years ago. And I messaged Steve being like, dude, did you know this? And like none of us clicked. Which makes it even better. So there you go. Did did you know that straight away, Michael? Did you did you find out when uh, Machine Gun Kelly uh, <laughs> posted it on Twitter or whatever? For Take Off Your Pants and Jacket, it took me probably like a few weeks after the album came out to kind of piece it together. Um, but I was like, oh, that's pretty clever. Uh, but like even like like Dude Ranch is a very clever title too because like it's a cool. It sounds cool. Yeah, yeah. Like the, the album cover, like it's like oh cool, and like you know they're all like in cowboy boots and stuff. So it's like. Then you find out that oh, it could also mean this. It's like ah, but "Enemy of the State" is probably the most brilliant album title that they've ever come up with. <laughs> Standard question that we always ask, and I'm sure you probably know the answer to this one. But who are the band members, and what do they do? So back then, it was uh, Scott Rayner, the original drummer, Mark Hoppus yep. on bass, and Tom Belong on guitar. And uh, which is really cool about that record, I really like the that that was the first time. Well, the well. First time that we heard Mark and Tom sing together on songs that frequently. Um, you really didn't see it much on Buddha or Cheshire Cat or any of the demos that they unwrote that they released previous to that. So it was really cool to see them, you know, uh, with the dueling vocal, to, uh, explore the dueling vocal dynamic on that on that record uh, more so than before. Oh uh, yeah, it's quite surprising because I I just assumed that was just their style. Like they both had parts to the songs, but yeah, I guess before I don't know anything before Dude Ranch. So yeah, it's quite interesting. So when Scott recorded the drums for this album, what was up with him? What was wrong with him? Uh, I read he broke his ankles. I read he broke his heels. He broke his heels. That's what it was. Yeah, I think he got, I forgot how he injured it, but I remember that. And Mark threw out his voice too, I think, while recording. Like they had to rush the recording because Mark, uh, something with his throat too. So there was a lot of, it's weird. A lot of times when you hear stories like this with albums, the albums turn out like amazing. You know, uh, Matt Skiba recorded Dude Ranch Sick. And I'm sorry, Maskeeva recorded Good Morning Sick. I was, I was just about to say the same thing. Yeah, that's why his voice is all gravelly. And like that is like literally... It sounds cool. The, it sounds cool. Yeah, the best sort of sounding that he ever was was when he was ill. It's like, oh. So if he broke his ankles, his heels, which sounds awful, how did he play the drums? Pa- painfully, I assume. I don't recall. I just remember reading that he got through it. Um, maybe he used the other foot. Or no, if it was both of his heels. I don't know. But I mean, good yeah. enough because I mean the drums sound great on there. Well, I was thinking like because people obviously compare uh, compare Scott to Travis, and I was like, well, this guy recorded drums with broken heels, and he's done he's done an incredible job. But then I did read he had he did re-record a few songs, and I know Damn It was one of those where it was like let's just re-record it, um, you know, later on. Because yeah, the originals didn't have any kick drum. I uh, yeah. just couldn't do it. <laughs> okay, so why did uh, talk about Scott and sort of Travis and stuff? Um, why did Travis replace Scott? So there was obviously some tension in the band, and you know, from what the band says, it was you know Scott's drinking kind of came to a head. Um, that's what the band says. Man Overboard alludes to that as well. Um, and Blink was touring with the Aquabats at the time, which was a really rad ska band. And uh, they asked Travis to fill in once, and he learned the songs in a minute and. You know, Marx said in an interview, or I think he said on one of the Blink DVDs, he said he looked at Tom and said, this is the drummer for Blink-182. And there you go. 
Yeah, because I, I didn't know any of that regards to the sort of tension in it and everything. I just, um, the one I've read or heard from years ago was he just wanted to, he went off and got an education, so he wanted to go to university or something and, and left the band, which I feel like is the, you know, the safer work version, like, you know, the the nice version, if you like. But um, like you say, I think, Steve, you, you know a bit more about it as well, don't you? Yeah, I read a line that um, he'd... He'd wanted to sign with Epitaph, so uh, Blink were looking at Epitaph and MCA, and Scott really wanted to go with Epitaph because of its punk roots, you know, a bad religion. And then Tom and Mark wanted to sign with MCA, signed with MCA, and then the the, the show where Travis took over, Scott had a, a family member died, I think, or a friend, so he had to miss the show, which is quite quite rightfully so. Um, so obviously Travis stepped up, did an incredible job, but when Scott came back, whether it was uh, the loss of his family member or friend, Plus, he was detached from the band because he wanted to be with Epitaph and, you know, really go punk. And I think they just sort of thought, you're half-assing this. And he knew he was half-assing it. And then, and then yeah, I guess it all came to a head at some point. Yeah, well, one of the parts was um, Mark and Tom were interested in Epitaph too. Um, their reasoning against it was, if we're on Epitaph, we're just going to be just another band. MCA, we'd be their only punk rock band. Um, and they're going to devote all their, uh, you know, we're going to be their punk rock band. So that was one of the reasons why they went that direction. Um, even though, you know, MCA, uh, Epitaph are super enticing to them, you know, Bad Religion and uh, No Effects was, I think, on them at the time. I think this is before they were on Fat, Fat Wreck and, you know, Rancid. And I got Epitaph of that. It was amazing. I mean, do you remember the, the Punkorama compilations that they used to put out in the 90s? Like those were, to me, those are just as important as like the Tony Hawk soundtracks. Yeah, I, with Epitaph, I'll be like, if any band signs to Epitaph, I, at one point in my life, if any band signs to Epitaph, I'd be like, I'm going to check them out. They're probably awesome. Now, not so much, but but yeah. But they, yeah, they've made a great decision there, aren't they, with MCA, because like you say, they would have been just another punk band on Epitaph, whereas with M- MCA, they've, they've skyrocketed. They're like the superstars of, of pop punk. Especially, I mean, that in them years and them days, kind of it's uh, as much... you. Yeah. You need to get promoted. You can't do any self promotion, or you're limited to you know self promoting your music and things like that. Yeah, I think what worked out well for Blink is with the I think the label is really impressed because you know Blink had DIY roots. You know they're used to promoting their own shows. You know through word of mouth, through flyers, through you know cassette tapes, demos, like you know the old school punk rock way. So they already had a fan base built in. So MCA, all they really had to do was just build build on that and use their resources to get the radio and MTV. So it was it was a uh, I think it was an easy signing i'm not easy signing it was a uh, easy transition so what year did blink 182 form uh 92 that is what it says in front of me so i will go with correct yes um do you know how the sort of got together so there's two conflicting stories um that mark and tom have two different versions but it's basically the same um tom's version says he was hanging out uh with mark's sister and says hey you should my brother, he plays bass, and they started you know, playing together and realized that they both love the Descendants and you know, similar bands. And, uh, yeah, and another version of the story is that uh, Tom and Scott started playing together first. And then that's when Mark got to the mix. But basically, I mean, no matter how you piece it, it's basically the same same story. Yeah, I heard, I, uh, I read it was, it was uh, an amalgamation of both stories where it was – what, Tom and Scott playing together and they couldn't find a bassist and then Mark's sister introduced Mark to, to Tom and then they just hit it off. So this one's a bit of a very specific one. What age difference is uh, between Mark and Tom? Uh, I believe f- four years. No, three or four years. Yeah, three years. So Mark was born in 72 and Tom was born in 75. 
Yeah, I put that question in because I was I was reading about it and I thought I just assumed they were the same age. I'll be honest. Yeah, I assumed they were the same age because of like the high school thing. But I guess it was kind of like they left high school and then maybe Tom was going to college or maybe Mark was in college and met Tom. I just thought it was just strange how they're not like this band of friends who met in high school and they're the same age when you 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 know you listen to the songs and and you you kind of get that that vibe from from yeah, their relationship. I just thought that was quite interesting that actually there is a there is a disparity between them and it's with those for, formative age. So actually Tom was quite young and I wonder how much um, like influence Mark had on him. Yeah, it's interesting. I think Mark was in community college, I believe, for a year while Tom was still in high school, if I, if I recall. I think as well, like you said, it's, it's sort of, you're such a young age, three years is huge when you're at that sort of age, whereas now you're sort of mid-30s, does it really matter if someone's three years younger than you, you know, Obviously, the, the sort of age difference doesn't make a difference, but yeah, it's, it's a huge thing back then. So, next question is, what is the correct way to pronounce Blink-182? Ah, so you guys being in the United Kingdom, uh, you guys say 182, and then we say 182 in North America. So, I think it's 182. I think it's just kind of like how, uh, I think you guys spell it, you know, like a Canada spells color with a U, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think it's, it's you know... I think it's just a dialect thing, um, but it's interesting. I was watching, uh, there was this documentary that came out uh, unreleased on YouTube that they shot years ago when they were overseas uh, during the European tour. It's, and it's, uh, they're interviewing a lot of UK fans and they say the, the 182 all the time that the, the fans are interviewed. So it's funny. Yeah, I, I saw this thing uh, the other day because I thought, well, you know, the US is 182, UK 182. But then I think it was James Corden had asked uh, Tom on Twitter to to say, what is it? And Tom came back to say, it's Blink 18-2. And supposedly it goes back to his, his high school or something like that. Yeah, they made so many jokes about what the 182 means. And it's uh, I really think it just means nothing at this point. Yeah, well, I had I read that years ago that there was like they they made a band called Blink and there was another band called Blink. One eight two. Techno band. Okay, cool. Yeah, so I mean, it, uh, yeah, UK one eight two, America one eighty two. We can all agree it's not one eighty, uh, not eighteen two. That's not what it is. Okay, so um, singles. What are the singles from this album? So the official. So a lot of people don't know this, but apparently Lemmings was released as a single first. But I don't count it because it never really hit radio. You know, I feel like you know back then. I mean, you could press something on a on a CD, you know, or a. I'm sorry, not Lemmings. Apple shampoo. I'm sorry. This Apple shampoo was first. I know just where I stand. A boy trapped in the body of a man. But uh, and I think the only place it really picked up traction was Australia. But I mean, technically. In terms of what hit radio and what hit MTV was uh, "Damn It" and "Josie." Those are the singles that people know of when you when you think of Dude Ranch. Yeah, well, to be fair, they're, they're the ones that I knew before because I mean, I've listened to Dude Ranch. I've got the Mac Tom and Travis show, you know, the live album, and that pretty much is everything pre "Take Off Your Pants and Jacket," isn't it? Really. So I got a lot of the songs through there. I've never actually listened to Dude Ranch properly, just as listening to Dude Ranch. Um, so yeah, so we've got Apple Shampoo, Damn It. Josie. And my girlfriend likes you well and DHC. And she's so smart and independent. I don't think she needs me. And then Dick Lips as well, apparently was a, a single. So. Nothing to me. 
Maybe they didn't have the commercial success, um, but I, I wouldn't have heard of Apple Shampoo and Dick Lips before reading that. And I've realised I've just said Dick Lips twice, three times. So Apple Shampoo and um, well, all the singles apart from Dick Lips charted in Australia. And I keep seeing that like Blink's main rise was it began in Australia, which is a little bit weird because I've never seen that happen with a band before. It's either like US bands will break the UK and Europe, but it won't break the US. Uh, but I've never really heard of bands breaking Australia first. But yeah, I thought it was interesting that in Australia, Apple Shampoo, Dammit and Josie all sort of hit the chart. And then in uh, in the US, it wasn't until, what, um, Dammit got to number 11? Yeah, and, and the, the thing with Australia is interesting because, I mean, Australia has a big surf skate community. So early on, Blink was involved in that scene. Their manager had a lot of relationships with people who, you know, would run those those events and Blink was on a lot, their music was on a lot of those uh, action sports videos. So they toured Australia often early on as a band with like Pennywise and a lot of like other skate punk uh, bands as well. So yeah, they early on, they had a, a nice little following there. So the next question we've got is about Spotify. Um, I don't know if you have Spotify, Mike, or do you, are you an iTunes guy? Are you, uh, Spotify, okay, very good. How many monthly listeners do they have on Spotify? I don't know, it's a good question. I'm one of them, but I just don't, I don't look at those things. It's weird. <laughs> and do you want to hazard a guess? Oh, well, Steve's told you it's 16 something. 16 million? It is 16.3 million. 16.3 million. It was 14 million. I've mentioned it on a few episodes that we've done previously when we've been speaking about New Found Glory and um, AFI and bands like that. But recently it's gone up by 2 million since, uh, since the announcement of the World Tour of a new album and, and Edging coming out. I thought that was quite interesting that 2 million people are like, oh, okay, I'll listen to Blink this month. Um, so the next bit, we're going to go a bit of a game to play. So we're, we're going to play sort of a higher or lower. I'm going to name some bands, and you have to tell me if they've got higher or lower number of listeners than Blink. And if you want to have a, an extra guess, you can tell me how many listeners you think they've got. So, Angels and Airwaves. Uh, lower. I, no, number, no idea. <laughs> so yeah, lower, 1.1 uh, million. Plus 44. Oh, lower. Lower. Uh, it's a 900,000, um, which I was quite surprised with. I only thought they released like an album or two and then stopped. Uh, some 41. Uh, lower. I would say they probably, I would say they have, some 41 probably has at least 3 million. Yeah, some 41, 7.4 million. Oh, wow. Uh, good Charlotte. Uh, lower, I would say what, uh, they have 4, I would say they have 8 million. 5.1 million. Uh, you might might feel a, a trend coming along here. So Jimmy Eat World? Uh, I would say Jimmy Eat World's at 7 million. Lower. 7.4 million. Correct. Well done. Uh, the All-American Rejects? Uh, lower. I would say that they're at about 5. 6.5. So yeah, very close. Well done. Well, I mean, 1.5 million out, but I mean, on the grand scheme of things. Uh, simple Plan? Uh, 5. 6.3 million. Uh, no effects. Uh, lower, I would say no effects is probably about 100k. 1.2 million. So on the grand scheme of things, quite quite low down, really. Um, taking Back Sunday. I would say Taking Back Sunday is probably about 8. 2.5 million. Wow, that's it. Okay. Uh, all time low? Uh, 7. 6.7. So very, very close. Well done. No one beats Blink is, is pretty much what we're trying to say. Yeah, they're, they're, 
they're they're like the pinnacle, aren't they? Like it's quite difficult to find a, an artist who's got more listeners in that particular scene than Blink One Eighty Two. So there's a couple of others that are the sort of more newer artists. So we've got Machine Gun Kelly. Do we think he's got more or less? I would say probably because he, he has a hip hop fan too. So I'd probably say he has more. Maybe by one million more. Fifteen million, uh, not more. <laughs> he's got, but he's got more. He's uh, sorry, he's got le- slightly less. Uh, Fifteen million. Okay. I guess he would have had more before the, the announcement of uh, like the world tour and edging. Yeah, and then we've got uh, Young Blood. I don't know if you've heard of Young Blood, but I'll say Young Blood probably about five. 7.7 million. I love the way Martin you went. I'm, I'm not sure if you've heard of Young Blood. He's one of the biggest artists, uh, you know, in the world right now. Well, I've only just <laughs> recently heard of him. Him. Sorry, we'll cut that bit out so I don't look like a prick. Maybe. Hey, Steve will keep it in. Um, and then Black Bear, which I personally have never heard of. Uh, I would say um, eight. Eight. Uh, no. It's 21.8 million. Wow. So, yeah, I mean, when I looked at those numbers and I saw, um, like, you know, all the standard, you know, no effects, Taking Back Sunday, All American Rejects, Sum 41, I wasn't surprised that these, yeah, you know, they had fewer monthly listeners. But then I thought, oh, I'll have a look at, like, some newer artists. And, yeah, the fact that, like, Machine Gun Kelly is at, like, 15 million, I was like, oh, okay, I didn't expect that. And then Black Bear... Yeah, twenty one point eight. That I just thought that is, that is insane. Does that surprise you at all? Uh, no, it's like it's weird because like Spotify, I think it's a like good uh, way to measure, but it's not the only measure of of relevancy. You know, um, I think it's interesting because because I think a lot of young listeners obviously use it because you know they, that's all they know is streaming services. You know, yeah, they, yeah. You don't know the days of CDs and, and tapes and stuff. So, yeah, it's interesting. Though. So, the next question, sticking to the Spotify theme, we're going to do the top five. So, I'm going to read out a list of songs. You have to tell me if they are on the top five or they're not on the top five. So, yeah, if you don't know how the top five works, basically it takes the average number of players per day. So, you could have um, some like number one, which has only got 25,000 players, but it's only been out for a week. But you could have something that's been on Spotify for the past 10 years and it's got like, you know, 66 million players. It basically takes what's the average players per day based on the duration that it's been on the platform. So it doesn't mean that all the old songs are at the top. Okay, so Dark Side. No. Rock show. Oh, sorry, you you were right. That was right as well. Sorry, <laughs> I should tell you if you get them right. Uh, Dark side is correct. It's not on there. Rock show. No. Correct. All the small things. Yes. Can I actually, can I take a stab at guessing the five? Uh, yeah, yeah, sure. All right. Uh, I believe it's all the small things. I yep. miss you. Uh, 
first date. Let's go, don't wait. This night's almost over. On it, let's make this night last forever. What's yeah. my age again? And that's about the time she walked away from me. Nobody likes you when you're 23. And I saw more of you my TV shows. What the hell is ADD? My friends say I should act my age. What's my age again? What's my age again? Yeah. Okay, so so far I have all the small things. What's my age again? First date. I miss you. I tried to give you a clue at the beginning. I said not all old songs are gonna be at the top. You can get some newer songs at the top as well. Oh, it's uh, is it edging? Yeah, it is. Yeah, correct. Well done. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Okay, so um, which songs on which song on Dude Ranch has the most plays on Spotify? Uh, damn. Correct. And do you know how many roughly? Uh, oh, seven hundred thousand. I should guess. Two hundred and seven million. Oh wow, way way low. No, sure, I don't look <laughs> at those numbers much. <laughs> Steve literally lives and breathes Spotify numbers. Oh yeah, I love it. Yeah. So, what band was the song "Emo" named after? Um, it wasn't named after, but I mean, at the time, I know they were listening to Jimmy Eat World, um, and they thought it sounded kind of like, you know, an emo song, um, which is interesting because I really don't think it sounds, <laughs> sounds that emo. But I, I get it, uh, like lyrically, it's, it's it's kind of out there, and it's yeah, it's interesting that they have some other songs that are like about scenes and other bands too, like uh, Apple Shampoo references uh, a girl that Mark was dating from the Dancehall Crashers, which is a Scott band that they were on tour with, and. They're also shouted out in Josie. Uh, you know, my girlfriend likes UL, Unwritten Law, and DHC, Dance Hall Crashers. So that's pretty cool that they were giving nods to, like, you know, bands that were coming up with. Yeah, definitely. And I, I heard as well that uh, the reason they decided to record with Mark Trombino was because of the Jimmy Eat World record that he did. Yeah, for sure. So the next part of the, the questions, you're doing very well, by the way, Mike. I mean, I, I assume you've been keeping score. Um, because there's, you know, there's no prize, but you know the feel of, you know, getting it right. Um, so this next bit is the lyrics. So what I'm going to do is obviously they're kind of known for sort of silly lyrics, possibly rude lyrics, uh, um, a blink. So I'm going to read out some lyrics. You have to tell me if it's Blink 182 or Wink 182. Okay, right. First one. My love life is getting so bland. There's only so many ways I can make love to my hand. Ah, uh, Blink 182. Well done. Well done. <laughs> yeah, so Blink-182, M&M's. My love, life was getting so bland There are only so many ways I can make love with my hand um, When I feel your touch and things are going our way, I want to spill my love on you all day. Not Blink. <laughs> Correct. That's uh, Yeah Yeah Ding Dong by Will Ferrell. It's from the Eurovision uh, film. When I feel your gentle touch and things are going our way. I wanna spill my love on you all day. Um, okay, so next one. It's Labor Day, and my grandpa just ate seven fucking hot dogs, and he shit, shit, shit his pants. He's always fucking shit in his pants. That is blink. Happy holidays, you bastards. <laughs> Correct. Well done. It's Labor Day, and my grandpa just ate seven fucking hot dogs. Labor Day, and my grandpa just ate seven fucking hot dogs, and he shit, shit, shit his pants. He's always fucking shit his pants. Um, 
I can't believe it. Steve wrote these and he's going to make me read this out. Uh, for real, though, I suffer from stinky dick. Every time I piss, it smells just like shit. No, not blink. <laughs> it's just gross, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Correct, it's not blink. It's uh, We're Back by The Lonely Island. No, for real, though, I suffer from stinky dick. Every time I take a piss, it smells just like shit. Uh, next one is um, She smokes a dozen and he doesn't seem to notice the smell. She t- He took the seat off his own bike because of the way that it felt. Uh, but very too much. Correct. She smokes a dozen and he doesn't seem to notice the smell. He took the seat off his own bike because the way that it fell. And the next one. Uh, you don't always have to fuck her hard. In fact, sometimes that's not right to do. Sometimes you've got to just make love and fucking give her some smooches too. Uh, not blink. Correct. It's uh, Fuck Her Gently by Tenacious D. You don't always have to fuck her hard. In fact, sometimes that's not right to do. Sometimes you got to make some love and fucking give her some smooches too. Also, I didn't know it said give her some smooches too. I thought it said something about cheese. <laughs> so, <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, there we go. Give her some blue cheese too. <laughs> yeah. Um, did he hold you till the sun did rise and did he look into your eyes and ask you to fillet him and stick a finger or two in his ass? Uh, it's Blink-182. That's uh, one of the bonus tracks on Take Off Your Pants and Jacket. It's called When You Fucked Grandpa. Yeah, we got Grandpa. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well. Did he hold you till the sun did rise and did he look into your eyes and ask you to fillet him and stick a finger or two in his ass? I can't remember that. I mean, that must not have been a UK release of uh, Take Off Your Pants because they did. They did three versions of that the CD. Each one was a different color, and each one had a bonus song and a bonus joke song on. Which was the one that said I want was the one that I want to fuck your dog in the ass? What was that one? That was that was on pa- That was another bonus song um, on another version of that CD. That, well, that's on the UK version because that's what I had. Yeah, that's the one I know as well. I, I'm surprised like you would know all the bonus tracks on the free CDs, but shows how big of a fan you are. <laughs> You're doing very well, Mike. So so far so good, 100% on that part. The next part we've got is who had the lead vocals, Mark or Tom. So I'll read out some songs. You have to tell me who had the lead vocals. Pretty self-explanatory. So, Adam's song. Uh, Mark. Correct. Steve, do you want to jump in on this as well? Do you want to have a go at it? No, because I've got the answers in front of me. Oh, of course you have. So I've <laughs> You could have said yes. Um, all the small things. Tom. Correct. Late night, come home, work sucks, I know. She left me roses by the stairs. Surprises, let me know she cares. Damn it. Mark. Correct. It's alright to tell me what you think about me. I won't try. Aliens exist. Tom. Tom, correct.
Uh, down? Down is the lead vocals is Tom with Mark doing the backup. Correct. Online songs. Mark. Correct. Josie, you're my source of most frustration. Forget when I don't meet expectations. The party song. Mark. Correct. And then I saw her standing there with green eyes and long blonde hair. She wasn't wearing underwear. At least I prayed that she might be. Peggy Sue. Uh, Tom. Correct. I know what it's like to be. Roller coaster. Mark. Correct. And voyeur. Tom. Well done. A hundred percent again. That's really impressive. Uh, I had a question that just popped out of my mind, which is, do you actually have a favourite uh, out of Mark and Tom? Do you prefer either voice or...? Um, I think the interesting thing about them is that their vocals are both so different that when, you know, I think certain songs lend better for certain vocals. Um, but I really like the songs that they both sing together because it's they both have this this contrast between like the whiny, whiny nasally pop-punk voice and Mark is obviously a bit more deep and deeper voice so yeah I, I love the songs that they both sing together it's a really cool contrast yeah i kind of agree i like it when mark sings a verse and then tom will blast out that chorus like what is it uh, stay together for the kids i think it's a good example of that and that is the end of the the sort of the quiz section mike so uh, by my recognition you, you did very very well very impressive <laughs> so moving on to the overall opinions mike um, what is your favorite song on the album if you you know if you had to recommend a song to a friend what would it be they've never heard of blink 182 for Dude Ranch, uh, ah, it's a tough one. Um, I mean, for the longest time, Josie was my favorite song on there. Um, Apple Chantoux is great. All the songs are great, but I think Damn It is the song that a lot of people know them by um, from that record. And I think it's a great representation in terms of kind of like who they are. You know, it's interesting, as Tom said when they wrote Damn It, it was a little bit more progressive than the punk rock that was playing on the radio. You could kind of hear it in a rip. Like, they were onto something in terms of, you know, uh, their songwriting on that song. So, yeah, Damn It. Well, it's got an awesome riff as well, hasn't it? You know, the, the sort of tune that it goes to it. It's just instantly, as soon as you hear it, you think that's cool. Yeah, and I noticed, uh, listening back to that, that Mark, uh, his voice on that is... I read online it's in a high register that it can use to do, but he really went all out on it, and you it, you can really hear that performance, and I think that's another thing where you're like, oh, no, that song sounds incredible because he's really putting his all into it. Yeah, it makes it sound raw because I think he's singing outside of his like comfort zone. I think he said he had to sing 
And it's interesting because I'm like some of the songs in California, uh, John Feldman pushed him to sing outside of his key and range. And you hear it on board to death too. So do you have a least favorite song? Uh, I feel like if I had to remove one song from the record, it's probably Degenerate. It's not that I don't like it, it's just, I don't think it's aged well. I think we, we always struggle with that question sometimes, and I think you've answered it well by saying, well, if I had to choose an album song not to be on the album, it would be this one, but it's, you just don't, you don't dislike it, it's just not as good as all the others, if that makes sense, but it's still good in its own sense. So yeah, it's a difficult one. Uh, do you think this album is still sort of stands the test of time, so, you know, over the sort of 25 years? Oh, 100%. I think... There's some, there's something special about that record. Uh, to me, you know, a lot of people who kind of grew up in that that era and that scene back then. Um, I think it just hits. I mean, I think, I mean, lyrically, I think it's kind of ahead, you know, ahead of the albums that came, some of the albums that came after it. Um, you know, the Enema took out the Pants and Jackie. I think it's really introspective. And there's some really good, really great lines on Dude Ranch uh, and the subject matter, you know, it's, you know, and, and even then they were kind of, pegged as being a jokey band because they had like some funny songs and you know like their videos are funny but it's like there's some really serious like lyrics and topics on there and um yeah uh, i think absolutely sand test time and i think it's you play that record for someone and say hey this is what skate punk and pop punk sounded like then i think sometimes as well the it's got two two parts to that question which is does it sound the test of time is it recorded well because if it sounds like a bag of shite, you know, it's just the vocals are all over, or you can't hear things, it's, you struggle to enjoy something, whereas I think the recording of it is, is perfectly, you know, it's, it's good, it's fantastic. It's, um, whereas I think, like, I, I have heard Cheshire Cat a long, long time ago, and if I remember rightly, that isn't the best recording. Um, and so it, you'd struggle to sort of put that on and have a, you know, listen to it, because it's, you know, it, it's a struggle to listen to because of the recording. So I think Dude Ranch works really well because it is recorded well as well. As well. Said well a lot. But there you go. Yeah, no, uh, I agree. Obviously, it's not as clean as the stuff that Jerry Finn produced, but it's definitely, uh, it definitely is a major label produced record for sure. So I suppose you, you kind of mentioned about it a bit before, but where does this album rank uh, for you compared to other Blink albums? Uh, it's my favorite. Um, there's definitely, you know, the list sort of changes for me, like the top, you know, ranking their albums, but Dude Ranch is always number one. Um, just because, like I said, I think lyrically uh, it was on another level, and it was really riffy. Really, the riffs in there were great. It was, it's fast. It's, it's fast. It's fun. It's, you know, it's nostalgia. I think everything I love about that band is in that record. No, and I suppose it makes sense because obviously we've asked you to choose an album, and you've chosen that album. If you preferred another Blink album, we'd have been talking about that one, I suppose. But what other albums kind of flick? You know, in that you sort of top three for Blink. So it's it's my top three is probably Dude Ranch. And then two and three, he's usually untitled number two, but now I'm leaning more towards Enema because I'm, you know, I'm getting more nostalgic. Um, so top three is, you know, going to be, you know, obviously Dude Ranch number one, two or three will rotate between Enema and Untitled. And uh, four is where it gets interesting. Four is Neighborhoods for me. I, I love that record. Yeah, a lot of people don't like that record. Yeah, I know. I know it's a, it's a hot take, but yeah, I, I love that record. And... Brings us to the, pretty much the end. Do you have anything that you want to say before we wrap it up? Uh, no, just thank you. Thank you guys for having us. It was a lot of fun. I like the, the quiz format. It was really cool. And you guys have a lot of fun with us. You guys are really knowledgeable about the Spotify numbers. So that was cool. Um, yeah, like I said, if you're interested in this type of music, like I said, my book, Hey Suburbia, um, 
you know, has interviews with, you know, Tom and Mark and Mastiva's in there as well. And also if you're fans of uh, bands like The Descendants, Dashboard Confessional, uh, Taking Back Sunday, uh, The Movie Life, uh, Less Than Jake, the, the, all those bands are interviewed in the book too. So yeah, it's, it really is, you know, a good old fun coffee table book. It's available on Amazon. I'm not sure if it's available overseas uh, in terms of print, but PDF, I think you can get it out as a as an ebook overseas, I believe. You can definitely get it here in the UK on Kindle because I, I downloaded it. I will say that um, the artwork in there is is really cool. And I, I heard you speaking about it on the, the Mike Herrera podcast. And I was thinking, like, I really wish I had the hard copy of this book because it's a great read. It's really easy to read. And like you say, it's like a coffee table book. It's got that artwork and you can easily flick through it. Um, and, yeah, you don't really get that on the Kindle. So anyone that is wanting to buy the book, I would suggest trying to get a physical copy of that. Oh, thank you, man. I appreciate that. If I'm ever in the UK, I'll bring you one for sure. Um, That's brilliant. Yeah, just a quick shout out. Uh, I know you said you really like the art. The artist, uh, Cassie Potish, is amazing. She does uh, a lot of uh, band designs for like, uh, T-shirts and stuff. She did Census Fails logo. She's done stuff for uh, bands like Less Than Jake, Seaway, um, who else? Some 41. So she's done a lot of cool uh, rad designs, and her style is just so uniquely her own. So I thought she'd be perfect for the book. So yeah, uh, shout out to her. Her work is great. I was going to say, the, the, uh, well, the one thing I was thinking about the book is like, after reading it, I was like, I want to know more. So I think you could have a sequel there if you wanted to. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I, I, the book, I, I mentioned it in the book, it, this isn't like a, a tell-all, the complete history of Pop Punk and Emo. It's like I said, it's more of a coffee table book to reacclimate, you know, people to that era. And then as well as introduce new people to kind of that you know that era of music yeah cool i really like the playlist in the back as well because it's got it's got like so, some songs that i was like okay yeah, i've never heard that one but you know i know who that band are and i thought yeah it's a really good way to like kind of get into it a bit more like you could create that on, on spotify quite easily and and you know just listen to that on repeat for a few times and realize oh i really like these bands not into those bands and if you're just getting into that you know pop punk and emo music then really great starting place I actually did create a Spotify playlist off off my own soundtrack, but there was a couple of songs that weren't on there, and I was like, I was shocked. I don't remember which ones, but it was probably a little bit more some of the obscure bands. But I think that was a fun part because it's open for debate and interpretation. You know, oh, yeah, definitely. people will say, "Oh, I'd rather have you know this song here by this band." So I think that's a fun part too. People could kind of debate that, and that some people never heard of, so they say, "Oh, who's this band?" And, that's cool. And I like the fact that it's your introduction as well. So it's not like this is the this is what you should be listening to. It's like if I had to recommend, this is what I'm going to recommend. Yeah, I, yeah, and I, I think that's a good point because some of those aren't my favorites, but it's like, well, if you go to like an emo night, you know, show at a club, this is something you may hear, right? You may hear one of these songs there. Dude Ranch, Blink182, an obvious choice for our 25th episode, as chosen by Mike Demante. Thanks for listening, and if you want to find out more about Mike and buy one of his books, you can do so by going to punkrockandufos.com. If you enjoyed listening to today's episode, let us know by contacting us on Instagram or Facebook. Just search for Is It Dad Rock Yet? Or send us an email. It's isitdadrockyet at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.